Thanks for tuning in to the Stateside Podcast. Hey, before we get started, we wanted to warn you. Today's episode describes an instance of gun violence, and it may be upsetting for some listeners. It has been a crazy busy week in Lansing. Democrats taking control of the majority for the first time in decades in the legislature are tackling their wish list of major policy changes. That includes civil rights protections for the LGBTQ community, repealing the state's unlawful ban on abortion, and repealing the decade-old right-to-work law. Today, a group of doctors headed to Lansing to urge lawmakers to make another major change. I'm tired of feeling like I'm just applying a Band-Aid to a massive bleeding hole that can't be fixed. It's time to start fixing the underlying problem, the wrong people having easy access to firearms. We're about to hear from folks who've seen the impacts of gun violence firsthand and why they're demanding change. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. On Monday, February 13th, 2023, at 8.18 p.m., my son called my cell phone and said, I love you, Mom. I've been shot. There's a shooter. Krista Gredenberger is the mother of Troy Forbush, a student who was wounded during the mass shooting at Michigan State University. She offered testimony that really stood out during a statehouse judiciary committee on Wednesday. He did not answer when I screamed his name. I was helpless. As I stayed on the line trying to get his attention, what I heard next were the voices of frantic, scared, young adults working together to secure the classroom and attend the wounded. I happened to already be in the car, five minutes away from Berkey Hall. I raced there. I abandoned my car when I was blocked by police barricades. From there, I ran down Grand River to get to the unsecured shooting scene, not knowing what to expect. There, I found Troy being loaded into the ambulance. He was as gray as cement. When Krista reunited with her son as he recovered at the hospital, she finally heard Troy's account of that evening. As he lay there in his own blood, he recalls hearing his classmates asking for belts, rushing around, screaming, and frightened. One classmate even took his own shirt off and pressed it to my son's chest. My son was terrified. This was his worst nightmare, a nightmare that he actually practiced for in school over and over again since he was little. Can you hear me? We live in a country where children as young as kindergarten must actually practice how to survive an active shooter assault in school. This is not normal. This is a nightmare. This is a recurring nightmare. 
A few hours after Grettenberger gave her testimony, the Michigan House approved universal background checks. Lawmakers are continuing work on several other ideas, including a red flag law, a safe storage proposal, and more. People who are severely depressed and despondent, who have a loaded gun in their possession or waiting for them at home, there's nothing that can be done about that. And so the secure storage legislation or the extreme risk protection orders or red flag laws would act to have a judge be able to uh, countenance taking that gun from the person to keep them safe. This is Dr. Thomas Viverka. He's president of the Michigan State Medical Society. And he's one of the doctors who spoke at the Capitol earlier today. I'm a trauma surgeon. I've been in practice for over 30 years and have been taking care of victims of gunshot wounds for all that period. Would you say that there have been changes in the number or the seriousness of gun-related injuries that have been part of your practice in recent years? No, most of it has to do with what we would call the social determinants of violence. So currently I am practicing in Midland, where clearly the most common victim of firearm violence is self-inflicted. Whereas I initially started my practice in Saginaw, where there's a higher percentage of person-on-person violence. You describe as a medical professional what a bullet from a rifle can do to a human body. Can you tell us a little bit about why it is particularly challenging for doctors to repair those kinds of wounds? Well, the difficulty comes in tracing the tract of the bullet. So we can we can frequently see an entrance wound and an exit wound, and there is a lot that can be lying in between the those two points. And we have to take care of all of those issues. And if it's in the chest, then frequently it can be a lung, heart, major vessels. If it's in the abdomen, there's multiple organs. And so the key is finding all of the injuries and getting them taken care of in a timely way uh, before the patient uh, succumbs from bleeding. Hmm. In your statement, you talked about the many medical professionals who who ran to Sparrow to try to help uh, when when the active shooter situation was going on in East Lansing. How close were you in communication with the people who were navigating the situation as it unfolded? Well, I live in Saginaw, so my sole source of information was the news media. But I've been told since then that uh, my colleagues all responded without having to be called and responded to Sparrow Hospital to, to be on board and be on hand to help take care of any injured. We need to take a short break. More in a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from the University of Michigan's Go Blue Guarantee, committed to keeping a U of M undergraduate education within reach of all Michigan residents, regardless of socioeconomic status. Programs are available for all three campuses. More at goblueguarantee.umich.edu.
have the frequency of of gun violence events have they in any way changed the training that doctors receive either in terms of trauma work or surgery? No, the uh, training of general surgeons all depends on what comes in when you're on call. So I got quite a bit of exposure to what we call penetrating trauma in my residency here in Saginaw. Um, Certainly the Detroit hospitals will see more of that than some of the other programs where there's not as much firearm injury occurring. So it's a hit or miss kind of situation as far as what comes in when you're on call as a resident. How does an ER prepare for an incident? I mean, maybe a a mass shooting has very specific challenges of its own. But do you think that most of our ERs are prepared for the level of of gun-related violence that they are seeing in their patients? Well, certainly the verified trauma centers, uh, both Saginaw has two level two trauma centers, and where I'm at now in Midland is a level two trauma center. The level one trauma centers, we're all prepared for gunshot wounds to come in um, by having a code system where if somebody has suffered a gunshot wound, it's being brought in, it's a code one trauma, and the trauma surgeon is responsible for being available within 15 minutes of the code being called out. And there's a whole host of response that has to come to bear, including blood products, um, lab, x-ray, nursing. Um, there's a, a vast mobilization of resources that is called to bear when a gunshot wound is coming to the emergency department for a prepared trauma center who is verified by the American College of Surgeons. Of course, not all of the mass shootings we see are related to rifles. In fact, the two that we seem to be feeling most acutely right now in the state, the MSU shooting and the Oxford High School shooting, both involved handguns. Do you see the approach that lawmakers are taking, uh, taking that into account? Well, the problem of gun violence is what goes way beyond what can be fixed by legislation. Um, I think there is sensible legislation that can be enacted in order to help reduce the risk of gun violence, but it's not going to take it away. The mental health issues that occur are what I think need to be addressed with these mass shootings. And uh, if there's a presence online of somebody making statements, threatening statements, that's where the extreme risk protection orders can come into play and more can be done in that regard. But yeah, I agree that uh, a handgun can do just as much damage as a long rifle or a high-velocity military-style assault weapon if used in the unfortunately correct setting. As we've noted, the the piece of legislation that did pass at the time we're having this conversation so far has to do with universal background checks. But there are a number of other things under discussion. Do you feel like the the full package of measures, including red flag law, safe storage proposal, uh, that that, that goes far enough for what you and the rest of the group would like to see? Like I said previously, not all of the issues can be addressed with legislation. There's a lot that has to be done socially that contributes to violence. The social determinants of violence include income, employment, education, food insecurity, housing, social inclusion, These are things that can't be legislated, but um, 
need more of a community involvement in order to reduce the risk of violence. Plus there are programs, I think every trauma hospital should, who sees a lot of gunshot wound victims should have a hospital-based violence intervention program. Again, this is not something that should be legislated, but is something that just makes common sense. There's a lot of common sense interventions that can be used outside of legislation that are needed in order to decrease the risk of violence in our communities. There are some MDs that I've met who will not discuss gun safety in the home with their patients because they know that there are some some patients in their practice who feel very strongly about it. And any number of Republicans in the legislature have echoed the, the things that we often hear about protecting Second Amendment rights of Americans. How do you balance the legal reality of gun rights with the things that you've come to know and seen evidence of as an MD? Well, I think discussing safe storage or secure storage of firearms, it just makes such common sense, especially for anybody who has children in their home. I think it, a physician would be remiss not to screen for that kind of risk behavior uh, because, as I had stated earlier today, the number one cause of death now in age 1 through 19 is firearm injury. And a lot of that is due to the availability of guns in the home for children. And uh, it's a public health issue. It's not just, just a personal freedom issue. It, it's something that should be discussed. And I feel very strongly about that. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes on our website and stream more news from in and around Michigan anytime you want. The address is michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Ronia Kabansag. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa, and our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the podcast comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.